0: Welcome to The Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art, where we bring you a new story about your world in every episode. Today's guest is Joseph Sosa, a gay Latino activist from Ohio who works in civil rights. We talk about how he's building coalitions among communities of color and the LGBT community in order to combat state legislation that marginalizes brown, black, and queer communities. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Years ago, when I was a young man, I embarked on a journey of becoming an activist after getting tired of conservative politicians making me the scapegoat. They pinned public health crises and the breakdown of the family and divorces somehow on the gay community. And then those very same Republicans in the next election would blame economic problems on brown people, especially immigrants, accusing them of either working hard to steal jobs or being too lazy living off welfare. The logic in their arguments never really made sense, but that wasn't the purpose to begin with. They just wanted to divide people, us versus them, convincing the majority of the population hate on the minority. It's a familiar playbook and it is used by conservatives across the country. Sadly these very same communities are still being harassed and attacked by state legislatures. In Ohio you have statewide elected officials who passed a law that allows medical professionals and insurers to deny patients who are LGBTQ+. Doctors could literally turn away someone in need of life-saving services just because they go against their value system, never mind that they took an oath. Luckily for us, there will always be a gay Latino ready to take on the challenge, just like I did two decades ago. Ohio native Joseph Sosa took on the role of activism early in life. He has a passion for social change and a vision for a more equitable and affirming Ohio. He joined the statewide LGBTQ civil rights organization Equality Ohio in 2020, working as their Central Ohio Regional Organizer. Joseph also serves as the board member of the Ohio League of United Latin American Citizens, which is part of the oldest and largest Latino civil rights organization in the United States. Let's hear how Joseph envisions continued bridge building between the LGBTQ plus and Latinx leadership and activist spaces as a way to better serve others who live at the intersection of queerness and Latinidad. I want to welcome to the show Joseph Souza, Central Ohio Regional Organizer for Equality Ohio, an organization that's been around for 16 years defending the rights of LGBTQ people in the Buckeye State. Joseph, how are you?
1: I'm great, Jesse. I'm just excited to be here talking to you and (laughs) doing well, thriving.
0: Thank what about you? you? <laughs> I am doing great. I'm very excited about uh, all the work that you're doing in the middle part of the United States because you often hear about uh, gay Latinos working hard for LGBT equality in California and in Florida, New, New York State. But we're talking about the middle,
1: the yeah. flyover
0: states, the ones yeah. that we always forget about us in the middle. <laughs> mm-hmm. I say us because I used to live in Texas and Dallas, and we did a lot of organizing and when people started throwing out money and and sending out big names to kind of like help LGBT folks uh, organize, they forget about us in the middle. Yeah. And you're right there in Ohio. So before we start our talk, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah.
1: So I, oh, where do I begin? <laughs> Who am I? I, I? I hold a lot of hats. I do a lot of things. So at this, in this moment, um, activist, organizer. Um, I'll also identify as an artist and a writer that's in my own time. Um, and I, yeah, I've been on this journey actually, especially when, when doing activism and organizing work. I've, you know, having like an outlet is so, so important, kind of like an escape and a return to yourself and self care. And so um, I find that in creative projects in writing poetry and all of that. And I've been on this, um, I've I've been on this thing lately, where, you know, not everything has to be uh, commodified to be valid like I can identify as a writer because I write even though I don't I don't I'm not published right I can identify as an artist because I create even though I (laughs) you know what I mean maybe I don't commodify it so yeah so I don't know I I'm doing a lot of things right now um yeah I, I, I,
0: I I I noticed about you is that you have a very amazing background you studied foreign languages
1: I did yeah again what one of my personality traits—it's both a, a, a quality trait and a toxic trait—is that I have a hard time. I'm indecisive. I have a hard time making decisions. Uh-huh. So, so back when I was in in school in college, I couldn't even decide a focus. Right? I studied foreign languages. I studied history, global international studies. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of different things. I studied abroad in China and lived there for half a year. Um. I'm just interested in, in a lot, and I attribute some of that, I think, to my upbringing, which itself is incredibly varied and diverse. I am mixed culture. My dad is of Span- Spanish descent. Um, he identifies as white, Caucasian, um, and my mom is Puerto Rican, Boricua, um, and so I grew up with kind of uh, the dual culture and then also grew up in a very religious home. I was actually a pastor's kid. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, Pentecostal upbringing at that. So a very specific, uh, very intense holiness movement. Um, you know, religious upbringing to, <laughs> to
0: growing up uh, in that religious household. What made you get involved in the civil rights arena?
1: Well, frankly, I mean, I experienced, you know, personally a lot of a lot of a lot of shit. I'm going curse. <laughs> um, I experienced a lot of. Um, you know, life experience itself in, um, I think over the course of my young life, going into my young adult life, um, it just informed me that there is something inherent to society as it is currently functioning. That, um, is dangerous is not inclusive and is, um, is, is unaffirming and unsafe for anyone who, um, who is who is maybe non-white, non-male, non-heterosexual, right? <laughs> Non-cisgender. And so for myself, I realized at a very young age, oh shit, I, I am an individual who lives at the intersection of being a gay man, being um, you know, uh, being Hispanic, Latino, but you know, but and but growing up uh in mostly white spaces, right? Growing up in like small towns in Ohio. Ohio. Um, I lived in a lot of different, actually, <laughs> areas of Ohio, probably the longest period of time was in Canton, Ohio, um, where where I lived, and I went to school there as well. Um, and when it comes to like diversity and, and all of that, it's uh, you know, mostly white people and then African Americans and then like you know, a small amount of Latinos. And in the in the places that I grew up, um, it wasn't a lot of Puerto Ricans um, specifically. So culturally, I was very kind of alone, right? in a lot of a lot of the places that I grew up in. Um, and then uh, all I think a lot of us that are LGBTQ have that experience where we feel like we're the only ones, right? <laughs> yeah. And we grew up very isolated and very alone. and I had that experience growing up, with the pressures of being a pastor's kid and then on top of that my queerness showed um you know i think for the most part I, I, uh, a lot of people i think take me to be uh you know have more of a feminine energy and um you know also I write about this actually a lot about how I think my body even was a giveaway. Cause I don't have like a masculine body. I'm using quotes there. Right. I I'm a twink. Right. I have, I have a, I don't take up a lot of space and men are supposed to take up space. Right. In, in the culture. And so I didn't do that physically. And I also feel like I didn't necessarily do that uh, emotionally. Right. And I, I, this is the, the experience that a lot of us have, right. We learn to make ourselves small in order to survive. To survive um, yeah. So,
0: yeah, it's So, what does your family think about you being out there in the streets and fighting for <laughs> civil rights? I mean, was it harder for you to come out or to come out as gay? Or- oh, yeah. Come out as LGBT or come out as a civil rights activist?
1: <laughs> oh, for me, in my experience, it was definitely harder to come out as gay specifically. Yeah. Some of the activism, um, you know, I will give a little bit of credit to my family that um, you know i didn't i didn't grow up um ooh how do i put this let me put it this way like my my family didn't vote for trump right um my immediate family did not vote for trump my immediate family in some ways are conservative like culturally conservative but the sort of political conservatism that you know that we've especially seen kind of blow up in the last <laughs> um half a decade yeah. um my parents weren't necessarily a part of that culture right where i weren't necessarily like, you, you know, sometimes I've seen in like white churches in particular, where they mesh patriotism and like white supremacy, frankly, with yeah. their Christianity. I didn't necessarily have that, right? Growing up, like there was this intense kind of religiosity, um, but still a recognition that, um, that social issues exist, right? Like I actually was uh you know, taught about racism growing up. I actually, I do have to give my parents credit for they, on top of like the birds and bees talk when I was young, they did give me a race talk. I got a race talk. Um, I even got a rape talk actually, which is pretty progr- pretty progressive of my of my parents. But then in other issues, right? I I grew up learning that oh uh, yeah, sexuality is only supposed to happen in the context of marriage between a man and a woman, right? Like that, I grew <laughs> up learning that, right? And I grew up, um, oh, uh, abortion is terrible, right? I grew up, yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? So it's like yeah. this mixed bag of like cultural conservatism, but not necessarily the sort of intensified political conservatism that we see. I think, you know, we do see it in the Latino community, but-
0: Yeah, we get a mixed bag, like you said, <laughs> because yeah. like we're in the middle of- being targeted for brown skin but Mm -hmm. you have that religious for some of us Catholicism that just sort of like ingrains in us to be thinking one way towards homosexuality and reproductive rights and it takes a whole (laughs) uh, teenage and adult hole for us to make our own choice on those exactly.
1: it was definitely harder at, you know as a result of that to come out as gay and i i felt like i came out pretty late it was i was 23 years old by the time that i actually came out to my parents and even then it wasn't my choice i was i was kind of like i came out by accident <laughs> and i didn't have <laughs> a lot of control over the situation yeah. um and so you know a lot of us have those experiences too and so that was hard because i was thrust into having to handle that and at the time i was actually still living with my Parents, I was commuting from the college that I was going to to save money. And um, so we shared space at the same time that I had to navigate.
0: Living in Ohio is hard, like you just said. It's (laughs) kind of hard for minorities to get some traction on important issues when 81% of its residents are white and they're probably conservative. Mm -hmm. Uh, What coalitions have you been building on the ground to get some progressive ideas uh, passed? Or yeah. Except,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean at, at this point in my kind of work and career, I have uh I've just been sort of exploring the landscape and joining a lot of efforts that have been started by other um amazing organizers and activists and would love to down the line um uh you know be able to to um address a need that I'm seeing myself from the ground up. But for now, there's actually like a lot of work being done in Ohio across the board on every issue that you can imagine. Um, yeah. It's just an issue of visibility, right? It's just an issue of resource allocation and uplifting the work that those folks are doing. You know, Ohio, it's interesting you mentioned like the, the demographic. The thing about the minorities that live in Ohio though, is that we are, significant and then in our big cities ohio is so weird because it is like a um you know people think of of like cornfields when they think of ohio but in fact we have a lot of like metropolitan areas we have a lot of big cities um probably more so i think more more so than like the average midwestern state you know like we have a lot of big cities and um and there's a trickle effect culturally as a result of that right like the sort of like you know urban culture and urban work and so you have a mixed bag. You do have like the rural communities, a little bit more isolated communities. You have a lot of different cities and therefore a lot of different um, emerging emerging groups. Um, I'll speak to more locally when, with specific groups because right now my work is very specific to LGBTQ equality. Um, my organization Equality Ohio is statewide. We have offices in three different, in, in Cincinnati and Cleveland and in Columbus. Um, and then we uh, do our best to actually try and make our presence and our work reach every corner of the state but living in columbus i have seen also some really amazing effective work from like locally focused groups um i'll just give a shout out actually because i was just at an event with them yesterday to be quick uh which is the black intersectional um uh, uh black queer intersectional collective excuse me <laughs> um be quick in columbus which started um uh i think founded in 2017 if i'm not if i'm not mistaken um and they're they started just in columbus right and focus very very specifically on uh, uh a queer a trans lgbtq um uh black people right that, that live in Columbus. So it's very, very specified. And I feel like the more that I get into this work, I'm kind of learning that actually the more specified you get, the more kind of specialized your work gets, um I think the more you can get done. Right. And <laughs> that's just kind of what I'm noting, what I'm noticing and what I'm learning. So even my organization, which has been around for a while now, um, um uh you know well over a decade and they uh i you know a while ago i think realized that and so therefore chose all right what's gonna be the hat that we wear and so um what that has been and is currently is um non-discrimination that's kind of the rice and beans of our work in this moment is um trying to pass the ohio fairness act trying to which would um implement Um, non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people throughout the state. We don't currently have that.
0: (laughs) Didn't they just pass a law that says that health insurers and people that provide medical services can deny, deny people who are LGBT. They can turn away patients who need access to medical care and insurance.
1: It's horrible. It's, yeah, the medical conscience clause. And you know what our legislators did is they... Um, I can't believe like this is not there's no way this is constitutional. They snuck it in to the budget. They were working on the state budget, and it was just snuck in as an amendment to the budget, hoping it would go unnoticed. We noticed it and made a lot of noise, made a lot of noise. But it was it was um, you know, they 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 worked so quickly, you know, and and ended up sneaking it through. And it did pass. And you know, here's the thing about that specific uh, that specific thing. it's actually not just LGBTQ people that are impacted by it. The lang- what what they did is they included this this language in this amendment. Um the way that the language is written it actually says that it, it makes it seem that if for any reason a medical provider if it goes against their conscience to provide you know to provide service they can count. deny
0: serve a woman who's pregnant and unmarried? Right. Divorce couple? I mean, where does it? Where do you draw the line? <laughs> you and know, this
1: is a talking point that actually i I always like to I always like to say and make people realize people who are not LGBTQ or people who maybe don't know much about LGBTQ life and the issues that impact us. I'm always trying to push the talking point that one of the reasons you should care about these issues is actually because. Um, they oftentimes will impact you as well, right? I think about, for example, um, you know, with transphobia and the way that transphobia often happens, transphobic um, discrimination uh, can happen to a cisgender woman, right? All that it would take is for the discriminator to just have the perception, right, that- um,
0: Well, she um, doesn't wear skirts.
1: Right, right. Like you like, oh, you're not feminine enough. What's up? Right. Or you're not, you know, I mean, anyone really can be impacted by homophobia and transphobia. Um, you know, not to mention the fact that uh, you know, uh, who who is it? The famous quote that says, like, um, you know, something along the lines if 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 anyone is without equality then none of us have right none of us have yeah. equality um and i just I, I that's that rings so true right when working on uh when doing this work <laughs> when being in the activism world actually
0: it's just it's just it's really sad that they go after one community and they think that it's not going to affect theirs but it's just mm-hmm. that it's the beginning the first domino to fall you know and of course they go after the the population that barely has any numbers the most marginalized population they'll go after it because it will be an easy win uh and then they'll work on the next person that they need to make a scapegoat Mm -hmm. in the legislature to get their uh social engineering agenda passed uh another thing um you've been active in the lgbt community for quite some time and now you're organizing in the Latino community. You just got recently uh, appointed to the state board of LULAC, one of yep. the organizations that I'm very familiar with and I'm very and I support to this day. So I want to applaud you for that. Uh how are you working to get LGBTQ Latinos involved in both the queer space and the Latinx space?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's who that is something that um yeah, I'm real passionate about because I actually noticed, um, you know, a few years ago when I first moved to Columbus that, you know, a lot of LGBT spaces tended to be white, right, predominantly white, uh, not just in terms of the actual individuals, right, and the, and the people, but it's like the culture, right, it's like the values, it's like what is the what's the type of like culture that gets pressed, right?
0: i mean what we yeah. celebrating.
1: <laughs> and then who's in leadership, right? Who's yeah. all those things, right? So the LGBTQ spaces were like really white centric. And then noting that, uh, you know, I go into like Latino specific spaces that are like, we're specifically a space. A lot of times are very hetero, right? That's just yeah. kind of what happens. Very hetero, very cisgender <laughs> and, um, you know like very binary, right? Yes. And, this is you know so here here's those of us who live at this intersection it's like (laughs) this is why oh um dr kimberly crenshaw is like my hero but by the way she's i just recently actually learned that she's from um from canton where i spent so much time i'm like yes but thank you to dr kimberly crenshaw for um coining the term intersectionality and bringing that idea into you know bringing language to that idea because here we are at this intersection. We need intentional work, right? Uh, we need work being done that intentionally has uh, folks living at all sorts of intersections in mind, right? And so LGBTQ Latinos being, of course, personally, an intersection I care deeply about. Um, so, you know, what what I've been doing the past two years has been trying to enter the spaces that currently exist, like Equality Ohio, right, that I'm now in for work, and um, I'm serving um, or I'm a part of uh, what's called the LGBTQ Leadership Roundtable, which is like a coalition locally that exists out of Columbus. And it, it includes a lot of different kind of leaders and representatives from all sorts of different spaces that are LGBTQ, um, been joining those spaces. And then of course, been joining Latino spaces such as LULAC. Um, and really I've just, what, what my aim in this moment has been, what it has been has been to, um, to embody the change that I want to see, right? And to, for one, be an individual that's present at the table that's, hey, queer and Latino, here I am, we exist, right? And then to the best of my ability to be a spokesperson spokesperson for the type of, um, uh, the type of specific barriers and issues that we might face, right? The type of specific challenges, which is difficult because no one individual should ever have to necessarily be the spokesperson for every issue that might face exactly. <laughs> their identity, their communities. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but to some degree, um, you know, when beginning this work, that's kind of what naturally happens. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, in this moment, um, it's kind of, this work has been, is still kind of in its infancy for me, you know, um, I'm, Uh, It hasn't even been a year, actually, that I've been with Equality Ohio in a specifically activism, like, role, you know, before um, I worked for the state, I worked for actually at our state house for one of our legislators um, as a legislative aide. Um, So it was public service, but it's not, not quite the same thing right as intentional activism. (laughs) Um, So, I'm happy to be here and, uh, you know, I, the more that I get into the community, the more that I see a vibrant, you know, uh, vibrant community of LGBTQ Latinos that are here, right? And it's just like, okay, how do we create this? How do we create the bridge so that they can, their voices can be heard and can be in positions of leadership and can create spaces for themselves, right? And speak for themselves. So it's where we're at.
0: (laughs) What are the next big projects on your agenda? We're going into oh. the election year. Uh, midterms coming up soon. What are some of the things that you're working on right now?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, we're there's a it's a bit of a transition period, right? We um, we have been for the last ten years an incredibly gerrymandered state. So there's a lot of amazing work that has been done to sort of address maps and all of that, and that has sort of come. Um, come to its head here. So we're, we're transitioning out of kind of the period where we had to work on it, but that was one thing that was on my radar, right? It was like uh, addressing the fact that we're so gerrymandered and um, trying to change that. Um, I uh, One of my main hats actually that I, I currently wear with what I do with Equality Ohio and the non-discrimination work is working locally with local communities because, The state has just been taking its damn time with the Ohio Fairness Act. I mean, it has been for 20 years. We've been pushing this and they're just, every single time seems to be another barrier, another reason for our legislators to be hesitant to to push this thing. Um, And so in the interim period, um, one of the things we've been able to do is actually work with local communities, local governments that, decide you know what we're just going to do it for ourselves then right we're not going to wait for the exactly. state and there's been a lot of like little small towns that i've had the pleasure of working with around central ohio um where you know their city councils have passed local ordinances and LGBT-
0: that. That's yeah then in texas we've been waiting and waiting for texas for something to protect lgbt rights lgbtq uh rights and we finally decided let's just work on our major metropolitan centers austin san antonio dallas fort worth they started passing those laws you know the state started getting pissed that they were doing that but it's like the city took you know we're gonna take this on and i'm glad that you're doing that in ohio
1: yeah especially because of something you spoke to earlier right about um you know historically a lot of like lgbtq movement work and activism ends up getting focused in like the you know the huge metropolitan areas and there's a danger sometimes of people that are in those like <laughs> middle you know geographical locations to get forgotten about right like yes. statewide that's true but even within the state you know like i see it right like a lot of the resources that are available to the community are concentrated in cleveland in columbus in cincinnati so how do we then get out of those bubbles and reach the folks that are that are in the rural areas of ohio right um that are in um you know the counties that um you know you just kind of skip over on the map and forget, and right. drive through and you know there's the hell is real sign and then you just keep driving just to get the hell out of it but the thing <laughs> is there's there's LGBTQ people in that county right there's right. LGBTQ people living there and they and they need us right and they deserve um visibility and space and safety and um, so yeah i love working with the with like look you know the local areas for that reason
0: How can listeners learn more about your work? Where can they uh, get um, information on Equality Ohio?
1: So for Equality Ohio, I'll just shout out the website itself, which is equalityohio.org. Pretty simple. Well, (laughs) Um, great. we have a lot of resources on there for Ohio specifically. We have um, our, a list of like all of the legislation that we're keeping our eye on and that we're, you know, the, the pieces of legislation that we're trying to uh, advocate for, and then also keeping track of the ones that we're trying to put a stop to, like the anti-trans bills, for example. Um, so we have those resources that available uh, for, any, um, for anyone that is an LGBTQ person that lives in Ohio. I do want to shout out another resource that we have in, um, and that is a legal clinic, which is free,
0: <laughs> okay? Good.
1: It's free free for LGBTQ Ohioans. If you live within 300% of the poverty level, which is most of us, um, you and and you're facing, you're an LGBTQ person facing some type of a legal barrier, or even if it's just you want to facilitate a legal name change, we help with that. And so that information is on the website equalityohio.org with an intake form and all of that there.
0: Joseph, I wanna thank you for all the work that you're doing in Ohio. It it, it means a lot that a gay Latino is making stuff happen in both communities. I give hats off to you for doing that work, for being brave enough to be in the middle state, being as loud as you can, taking up as much space as you need to, to get our civil rights uh, recognized and acknowledged. And um, thank you so much for the work that you do.
1: Well, thank you, Jesse. Thank you for this space and this wonderful podcast you facilitate, all these amazing conversations.
0: So it's a pleasure to join. (laughs) Thank you.